0: Good evening. Good evening. What a great night. What a great night. We weren't going to pass the offering plate, but looking at this crowd, we just may have to do it. So I got a couple of Christmas jokes I'm going to try out on you. If you don't laugh, this will be miserable for you before the night's over, I promise you. Why is Christmas a lot like your job? Thank you. You do all the work, and a fat guy in the suit gets most of the credit. (laughs) As a boss, I don't know about that. What's the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the ordinary alphabet? The Christmas alphabet has no L. Thank you. Y'all are doing well. Keep it up. What do you call a person who is afraid of Santa Claus? Claustrophobic. (laughs) And if you have small children, you'll appreciate this. Every parent's favorite Christmas carol is Silent Night. Amen and amen. Here, Wayne, file these away for next Christmas. They won't remember them then anyway. Whoops, there they go. Guys, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this evening. It's a story of the wise men and the last four weeks, we've looked at the different characters of the Christmas story and following their example. It begins in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Let's start. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise man came from the east to Jerusalem. Verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? We saw his star, and we have come to worship him. Let's stop right there for just a second, Brian. You notice it said in verse 1, it's interesting, it says Bethlehem in Judea. Why does it differentiate that? It differentiates that because there was another Bethlehem in northern Israel, Bethlehem in Galilee. So, a uh, little trivia, you went some Bible trivia on that, people don't know that. But it's differentiated. And this is the Bethlehem, which was the city of David, where the Messiah is supposed to be born. It talks about King Herod. He's going to be one of the villains in our story tonight. King Herod was also called Herod the Great. He did a lot of great things. He built the temple. He built amphitheaters. But he was also a very evil person. He was married about nine times. He killed people left and right. Uh, He was a bad guy. And it mentions the wise men. We don't know much about these guys. They were scholars. They were scientists. They were prophets. Probably from Persia, maybe southern Arabia. But these are the characters of our story. In verse 3 and 4, it says, When Herod heard, Herod the king heard this, that the new king had been born, he was troubled, agitated, and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now it's interesting, it says, All the chief priests, there's only one chief priest. But they called the people who had been the chief priest in the past, a chief priest also. Just like right now, we have President Obama. We have, we call President Clinton. We have President Bush 1, President Bush 2, and President Carter. We call the previous ones presidents, don't we? Right? Yes, we do. That's what he was talking about here. He assembled them together. In verse, look in verse 5 and 6. They, t- they told him the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you is going to come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, this is an Old Testament quote from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And then we roll into kind of the heart of the story. In verse 7 through 10, it says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him... Tell me, no, I want to come worship him too. Doesn't that sound religious and good? It wasn't. Uh, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them, and it, now it came to rest over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they ro- rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now look in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures. They offered gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll look at that in a moment. Now, he- he- here's an interesting little fact. You notice it says in verse 11, they went to the house. Did you notice that? Look at that. And, and they the going into the house, they didn't go into the barn. Do you know that? And it says that they saw the child. The biblical word there is not a newborn baby. It's a, it's a little child. Uh, your manger scene, how many of you have a manger scene at home? Are you seeing a living nativity scene? You always have the wise men come up, don't you? Shepherds, baby Jesus, goats, lambs, cows. Actually, the wise men probably came six months to a year and a half after Jesus was born. Now, the reason in the Christmas play you have to have the wise men come then is you can't have them show up in April and come down the aisle, can you? And, and, and at your house, if you're going to do it correctly, you would have the manger scene, the baby and the, the the shepherds there, and then you would have the wise men down the hall somewhere. That would be kind of creepy, wouldn't it? So that, that, that's what's going on here. And... I've heard people say, you know what? If these would have been wise women, they wouldn't have showed up late. You, you may have heard this. I, I'm going to share it with you if you heard it before. It's still funny. It, instead of three wise men, what if it would have been three wise women? They would have asked directions and arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts instead of cold incense, and myrrh, cleaned the stable, amen, made a casserole, amen, and there would have been peace on earth. <laughs> I don't know about any of that, but it probably would have been different if it would have been women come. Folks, what is neat in this story, what is scary in this story, 2,000-year-old story, is that there's three responses to Jesus being born, to Jesus Christ, that people are still... Making today, You and I in this room, many of us have responded in all three of these ways. But tonight, you are probably at one of these points. And I'm going to challenge you to get to the last point. What are the three ways the people responded in the story to Jesus? Here's the first thing. They fought against him. They fought against Jesus. And in verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And the word trouble means agitated. And Jerusalem with him. In verse 8, it says, He said to them, Go to Bethlehem. Go and search for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Folks, that was absolutely false religion and piety there. Herod wanted to kill the baby Jesus. In fact, if you read on in chapter 2, what you would see is... He tried to. He killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem after this. This was a wicked man. When he had three sons who came of age, and he thought they were threats to the throne, you know what he did? He had his three own children murdered he had him killed and when he heard a newborn king had been born the first thing that came to his mind was not man forgiveness salvation a better life in heaven it was that this newborn king is going to be a threat to my rule and to my life you're struggling with that tonight some of you are you're struggling with the fact that that if jesus is who he says he is he demands complete and total allegiance in Israel, in May of this year, a man named David Shoshan literally went to court and asked the judge to give a restraining order for him against God. And he pleaded his case as his own lawyer that God was bothering him, God wouldn't let him alone, and he wanted the judge to put a restraining order against him. And the judge dismissed it, just like you're dismissing it, and said, this guy's crazy. So, and, and obviously, he did have mental problems. But I wonder how many of us tonight aren't seeking in the Lincoln Parish courts a restraining order from God, but we're pushing him away. Because, see, if God's going to come and rule your life, some of you are holding on to sin. You're going to have to let go of. Some of you aren't holding on to any wicked sin. You just like calling the shots. And if Jesus is going to be Lord, that means he's going to call the shots. It's interesting, he said, let me know where he is so I can come worship him. A lot of times, some of the worst things are done under a false piety. Man, I love Jesus. But that's not true. Are you fighting against Jesus tonight? Let me just say this. I mean, this is, should be a given. If you're fighting against God tonight, you will eventually lose may not be tonight. It may not be tomorrow. But I want to tell you, 150 years from now, you will have lost. Don't fight against him anymore. Here's the second thing. And here's the thing I believe is more prevalent in this room this evening than the first thing. And that's this. We believe this, Jesus. We're just not going to let it affect our lives. We're just not going to let it affect our lives. Verse 5 and 6 are very subtle. The religious leaders told him, hey, go to Bethlehem of, of Judah, for it is written... By the prophet, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here's something cool. These were the top religious leaders of the day. They were the scholars. They spent their life studying the Old Testament. And when they were asked, where's the Messiah going to be born? They did not hesitate. They spit it out in Bethlehem. That's where he's going to be they would probably been planning, arguing, and debating their whole life about when the Messiah is going to come. What's he going to be like? Where's he going to be born? And now he's been born. And there's strangers coming that have stirred up the city of Jerusalem. They had to sense something was up. But listen, we have no record that they traveled the five or six miles south to Bethlehem to see the child. I wonder how many of us right now, if Jesus really takes over your life, how it's going to upset your plans. I mean, you, you really want to get serious about Jesus, but you got to go to a Bible study. Isn't that us? <laughs> Are you going to get serious about Jesus? But man, you know, right now you got to cook, you got to finish wrapping stuff. You, you, you've got family coming in, and, and you're going to get serious about Jesus. Some of you, you're going to again, because you used to be, but you just have so much going on. Some of us are just apathetic. It's like, you know what? I'm not fighting against Jesus, and all this sounds good, and I like it, but I'm just not going to do anything with it. And the sad thing is, and the scary thing, and the good thing is, is Jesus doesn't force himself on us. It's not good to mention hell at a candlelight on Christmas Eve, but hell's a real place. And undoubtedly tonight, in hell, there's a lot of people who left this earth with great intentions about getting right with Christ someday, but they never did. Man, I plead with you tonight, don't don't respond with apathy or with I'll do it later intentions with Jesus. Here's the third response that you see in this story and the right response. We bow and we surrender to Jesus. Verse 2 is a great verse. It says, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and we've come to worship him. Maybe this evening, no doubt some of you came with the idea, I'm going to worship Jesus tonight. Isn't that great? Some of you didn't. And you know what? That's great, too, because we hope you're going to worship him before you leave. But they came with the idea, we're going to worship this Jesus. And and look in verse 3. Excuse me, verse 11. Verse 11. It says, And going to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They fell down, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Seneca was a Roman philosopher. He said, You never approach a king Without a gift. They gave three gifts. These gifts would have been financially helpful, and this young family is fixing to have to travel. And and, and financial help was going to be positive, but the symbolism of these gifts cannot be missed. They gave this little baby gold. Folks, gold was a gift that you gave to a king. And these wise men understood this was the King Jesus that was being born. It says they gave him frankincense. How many of you as a kid frankincense was confusing? I always got that mixed up with Frankenstein. Literally, it scared me as a kid. They gave him frankincense. Frankincense was incense. But the significant, it was incense that they used in the temple as the priest worked. The gold, Jesus Christ was born a king The frankincense was the incense that the priests used. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's the one that's come to connect us to God. And myrrh was used in this day when they embalmed bodies, when they got bodies ready for burial. Folks, Jesus Christ came to die for you and me to be our Lord and Savior. Do you get the significance of this? It says in in, in verse 11 that they they worshipped Jesus. We get worship confused. We think, okay, what's worship? Worship is singing. Our worship is praying. Our worship is raising your hands in a service. Our worship is being real reverent. Our worship is preaching. Our worship is a church service. And worship can be all those things or it can be none of those things. Worship is surrendering yourself to God. It is prostrating yourself before God. this is such a neat thing the biblical word worship one way one Bible scholar illustrates it is he says worship is a dog licking its master's hand that's the picture of it it's of submission and humility folks I don't know about you I I don't know I love everybody here I love And, and some of you I love maybe a little more I don't know just teasing I'm a pastor my love is equal but I don't want to bow down to you and lick your hand. Amen? You comfortable with that? That's what worship is. It's, it's a person bowing down and surrendering their life to someone. You notice in verse 11, it says, Coming to the house, they saw the child, and they fell down. Literally, the word, that phrase, fell down, is like a wall falling. It, it was not a planned thing. It was like, my goodness, we've come into the presence of Jesus The Son of God, God born in the flesh. And when they walked in, it says they fell down in worship. It was simultaneously that they bowed down. That their their lives, their hearts, everything was changed. I want to ask you this evening, have you ever bowed your life to Jesus? Some of us go, well, you know, I've I've had an emotional experience, but it just hasn't lasted. I I understand that. I've had that in the past. In World War I, a very interesting thing happened on Christmas Eve, 102 years ago. It's 1914, on Christmas Eve. If you know much about World War One, the, the, the Germans who were the, the bad guys in that war and, and the Allies were not far apart most of the time. They were in trenches. It was terrible. On Christmas Eve, somebody began to sing Christian car- uh, Christmas carols. Somebody began to sing Silent Night. The next morning, soldiers came out of both trenches and they, they shared food, they shared drink, they played soccer, they had a great time. And on December 26th, they went back to killing each other again. Well, you say, well, part of that was they, they didn't have a lot of say. I mean, they, they're, they're superior officers. Part of it was is what they, they felt was good and it was sentimental, but it didn't change their heart. See, real worship changes your heart. Did you come here this evening to worship Jesus? Maybe you didn't. Man, my goal is is that we will worship him before we leave tonight. We will bow our lives. We will surrender our hearts to him. And let me ask you this. What are you waiting on? Is there a better night tonight than tonight than to get squared up with God? I want to read you a poem. It's a, it's a playoff towards the night before Christmas. And we've got copies of this that on the way out we would love to give you if you'd like to have it. But listen to it. This is, uh, I think it's powerful. T'was the night before Jesus came. T'was the night before Jesus came and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. The Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus... Would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed. Not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap. Was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter. I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash. I tore open the shutters. And threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head it was Jesus returning just like he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life, which he held in his hand, was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not there, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his Father above. With those who were ready, he arose without sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I'd waited too long, and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Only if I'd been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. You ready to surrender to Jesus this evening? Let's pray. Tonight, I know many of you here are Christians. Man, you need a fresh recommitment of your life to Christ tonight. Many of us do. Do that right now. Tell Jesus that you're resurrendering, that you're worshiping, you're rebowing your life to him. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. That doesn't make you a bad person, an alien or anything like that. It means you're somebody who's in need of Jesus. If you're ready tonight to surrender your life to him, pray with me. Pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart tonight, Jesus and i surrender my life to you let me have your attention just for a moment inside of your little bulletin there is a